Well, um, good morning, everybody. It's good to be uh, back here, to be honest. We feel at home. Just even worshiping is like, wow. I just feel amongst people who love Jesus, that's obvious, but also just feel amongst family, and that's a wonderful thing. You know, just thinking in worship, um, family preceded creation. (laughs) Family is not a construct of, am I? Okay, did I leave something? (laughs) Did you leave something behind? Oh, is it coming off? Okay, it's it's the beard. Family precedes creation. God, God has been a family from the beginning, from before time began. And we were created out of that. And so to be with family is probably um, the thing we long for the most and to be knitted in. And so I just had such a sense of that being with you guys. And so thank you for having me. Uh, I really appreciate those very kind words, Paul. And um, just to say, uh, you know, it's one thing for God to, I mean, for you to choose your friends, but it's a whole lot better when God chooses your friends. And I really count Paul and Milan as people that God has chosen for us to be friends with. And it's been a privilege hanging with you. Uh, Paul may say, I love Jesus, but he's organized. <laughs> and I love that. I'm always, when I spend time with them, I go, oh, Lord, I'm really going to try to be more organized in my life. <laughs> and my wife's going, Lord, you are finally answering my prayers. And, um, but no. So yeah, like I said, it's a real privilege to be with you. It is now quarter 2.10. And we're going to land this by half past 10. And so I'm going to try and take 15 or 20 minutes just to stir our faith and our passion for Jesus, and then we'll take some time to just hear from the King and see what He would say to us this morning. So I'm going to pray, and uh, we'll get stuck into a few things. Is that cool? Let's pray. Yeah. King Jesus, we're just always in awe of You and the wonder of who You are. And how you presence yourself amongst your people in the most tangible and real way. And we begin to grasp your love for us, your passion towards us, your care, your mercy, your grace. And in that moment, Lord, we are assured of your purposes in us. And strength comes by your spirit. And so, Holy Spirit, I'm so grateful that you're present here with me. The spirit of Christ, the spirit of the good shepherd who is present to lead us into truth and to steward and shepherd our hearts into the realities of the kingdom. So come and teach us, Holy Spirit. Come and lead us, King Jesus, this morning. We just yield afresh to you. We surrender afresh to you. To be loved by you and to be led by you in every way. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. So I'm going to begin this morning by sharing with you two quotes, two quotes that are, seem to be in opposition to one another. And so they're, they're, they seem contradictory. And I want to just say this up front. I think that there are merits in both, that both are important to varying degrees, one more so than the other, but they are equally, or they are important. They're important for us to understand and to live in because they have a unique bearing on our lives. They can so determine the course of our lives and how we live our lives and what we pursue in our lives. And so it's important uh, to think about them and to consider them. So heard of, anybody heard of A.W. Tozer? Yeah, A.W. Tozer. So he has a book called The Knowledge of the Holy. It's written 
a long time ago, but it's a wonderful book. And in that book, he says this. He says this as, as in a very important thing about our lives. He says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Just for a moment, think about that. Hey, when you think about God, what do you think about? When Paul, and I just want to say, Paul, I just think, I was going to call you Paulie, but maybe I'll just, just in private, I'll call you that. Hey, I just love how you stewarded the moment with Jesus at the end of worship. And I know that's a passion of your heart. But something shifts in the room when we give him our attention, hey. And something begins to change in us when we look at him. Because we can go about our lives just considering all the things that are in front of us and not taking time in our minds, in our hearts to just be focused on him. So the question for me as I'm thinking about you guys this morning is when, when Paul was asking you to just gaze upon Jesus, what were you seeing? What were you thinking about? What was in your heart? I know that and there's been different seasons in my life, different, different times in my life, and there's been times when I've been called to do something like that in a moment like this, and I felt disconnected and disjointed and far from God, and it's been hard to see anything ah, that makes me want to just draw near to Him because I feel like I've done too much wrong. We carry shame and guilt. And so what happens is who He is is tainted by that reality. But what we think about God is important. So maybe just for a moment, think about what you were thinking about when you were thinking about him. <laughs> I won't attempt to say that again. So A.W. Sosa says to us, he says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What are you thinking about the Lord when you think about him? C.S. Lewis, he has a book called The Way to Glory, which he wrote in 1941. And still has weight and merit for us today. But it's a wonderful book if you can get hold of it. You can get hold of it for free on the internet, by the way, but you can. And in that book, he says something different. He says, he, he, in response to what Tozer would say, he'd say, by God himself, it is not. Remember, Tozer said, this is the most important thing about God, or what you think about him is the most important thing. He says, no, that's not true. He says, how God thinks of us is not only more important, but infinitely more important. So Tozer says, well, this is about how, how you think about God. And C.S. Lewis says, no, 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 I'd beg to differ. I think it's about how God thinks about us. What does God think about you? When he thinks about you, and he thinks about you, what is he thinking? So I don't know that these two ideas are in contradiction to one another. I think it is important what we think about God. The problem is so often what we determine to think about God is shaped by things other than God himself. And so we, we come to believe lies about who God is. Just think about who the enemy is. You think about Satan and his agenda in the earth. Well, the first thing that he did to rob us of our relationship with God was to make us believe a lie about him. And so what we think about God, when we think about God, is important. But what we think about God must be shaped and fashioned and forged in our lives by his thoughts towards us. You see, God has a perspective, a way of seeing the world and life and everything in it. And so often our thoughts about God and the world and everything that he's doing is in contradiction to that. Remember the, Isaiah said that his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts, hey? 
And so there's this, this wrestle, man, God, I don't know if I can see, you know, understand things from your perspective, but the reality is in the New Testament, God begins to shape this idea in a very, very particular way. And he says, you know what, actually, yeah, you don't have access, or you can't think my thoughts, but now you have access by the Spirit of God to my mind. And Paul writes for us in 1 Corinthians 2, I think it is, 1 Corinthians 2, he writes a, a stunning piece of scripture. And he says, you have the mind of Christ. You have the mind of Christ. That means you can think his thoughts. You can understand his ways. You can interact with him in that way. And so it's, it's, it's beautiful. And so Tozer says, no, what you think about God. And C.S. Lewis says, no, it's what God thinks about you. And so I want to take a moment this morning and just encourage you and build some faith in you. I was particularly um, kind of challenged by a statement that I heard Tony Fitzgerald say a little while ago, because I've been teaching a little bit about faith back home at our church at Cedar Hill. And, um, and Tony had said this, he said, you can't teach about faith until you've built hope. You can't teach faith until you've built hope. And so I want to give you something this morning to hang your hope on. I want to encourage you by some of the truths in Scripture that will help you understand how God thinks about you. Do you think that would be helpful? So let's start. We're going to start in Psalm 139, verse 17. Psalm 139, verse 17. I'm going to read this portion of Scripture to you out of the New Living Translation, so the NLT version. It says, How precious are your thoughts about me? The psalmist is writing to the Lord and he is considering God's thoughts towards him. And in doing that and thinking about what God thinks about him, he says, how precious are your thoughts about me? The word precious there, I'm not gonna to run too deeply into, this, in the, in the, into the word, but the first time that this word is used in scripture and translated in scripture, um, it, it's talking about the value of something. It's emphasizing the value of something. And this is, this is valuable. This is, this is wonderful. This is, this is beautiful. And it's in relation to David. But, but, but the idea is, is that his thoughts towards you are not just precious. They're not just full of kind, loving things. They are valuable thoughts. They're valuable. So, so if, if we're going to measure anything that's important in our lives, we should value his thoughts towards us. They're important. If you want to have anybody's opinion about you and about your life and your purpose and your destiny, you certainly want to consider above all else God's opinion of you. It is infinitely, infinitely more valuable to you than the opinion of the pastor if it's out of line with God's word. It's valuable. It's hugely, it's weighty, it's important, it's significant. How precious are your thoughts about me, oh God, the psalmist writes. They cannot be numbered. They cannot be numbered. So you're going, they're valuable and they're weighty and they're glorious, but they're infinite. <laughs> they're infinite too, Lord. Your thoughts about me don't end. They don't end. Now, I want you to consider something about those thoughts just quickly as we have a look at Genesis chapter one. So Genesis chapter one, it's the, the narrative about creation. And what we understand from that is that there is this situation where it's dark and Nothing's really alive or working. It's void and empty. And the Holy Spirit is hovering over the face of the deep. And God does something a little unusual. In comparison to us, that is. So when you and I have problems or we've got something that needs fixing, what do we do? 
We labor. We do something. We make things work. Not God. The Bible says that God said, and 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 then we saw all that God said. And then Genesis describes what we see because of what God said. And how does Genesis describe that? Genesis says, it is good. It's good. It's good. What we saw is good. When it comes to you and I, it's very good. It's very good. It's very good. Now, I'm thinking that when God made you and I, it wasn't a careless thing he did. God didn't just carelessly on a whim create you and I. I know that to be true because the Bible says that he has redeemed you, he has loved you from before the foundations of the earth. Christ was given as a sacrificial lamb from before the foundations of the earth. So this was not a just a whimsical thing that God stepped into. No, he considered us, he thought about us. He intended to make us, and he knew, he knew what it would look like to do that. He knew um, the chaos that we would find ourselves in, and he determined ahead of time to redeem us. Not in just some casual way, in the most horrific and glorious way. We sang about it this morning, hey, in a number of those songs, how that he would die for us but that death would not have a claim to him and that he'd be raised from the dead for us, for us and we'd be redeemed in his resurrection life. So God's thoughts are valuable towards us, but they also are infinite and they are infinitely good. In fact, they're more than just being infinitely good. They're infinitely very good. I wonder when it comes to your life, my life, if we, were to, if we were able to take all the thoughts that were negative about ourselves, not just about the world, about ourselves. <laughs> I'm not enough. I'm not that. I wish I had this. I wish I was over there. All those things. If we weighed all of those negative things on a scale and we weighed them against all the things that were positive about how we thought about ourselves and our purpose and our destiny and our relationship with others and I wonder what would outweigh the other. I'd venture to, to guess that the negative thoughts would outweigh all of our positive. But when we talk in, in, in terms of God, God doesn't have a scale. Because his thoughts towards you are not negative. They're not full of vengeance or hatred or malice or evil intent, not in any way. The psalmist says they are precious, they are valuable, and those thoughts are about us. And they cannot be numbered. He goes on to say, I can't even, in verse 18 of Psalm 139, he says, I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. <laughs> and, when I awake, and when I wake up, you are still with me. God knows everything about you. Every intimate detail even the ones you wish nobody knew, he knows. He knows you the best, and yet he loves you the most. <laughs> he knows you the best. Nobody knows you like the king knows you. And yet he loves you the most. Could it be that that is true, 
because of how he chooses to think about us. And in light of that scripture, maybe, just maybe, we would go with C.S. Lewis. And say, maybe, maybe the most important thing isn't what we think of God. Actually, the most important thing is what he thinks about us. Because when we begin to understand what he thinks about us and how he thinks about us and how he thinks about us in this world, then that begins to shape in a wonderful way the realities of how we begin to think about him. And I want to tell you, that changes absolutely, absolutely everything. I want to read to you a couple of scriptures to just build some hope about how he thinks about you. So, in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 9, it says this. It says, But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. So let's just start here. God has very good things for you. He has them prepared up. He has them set aside. And there are things we have never imagined or even considered they are so glorious and wonderful and magnificent. So God is doing a good job on these things. In 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 12, it says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that we have been freely given to us by God. So it's God's intention that you and I do not walk blind in this life to his good will and good intention towards us. God would have it that you and I would know his thoughts toward us. He wants that reality to shape our lives. He wants the reality of what he thinks about us to shape our lives. So I want to say we are his beloved. Agapitos is the word in the Greek. We are his agapitos. Now, I know I say that and you think of agapi. At least I do and now you do because I said it. But the reality is we are his beloved. We are a treasure to him. He loves us. He considered us, considers us in, in the most wonderful way. And again, God gives us a glimpse of this in the idea of family, moms and dads. If you are a mom or a dad in this place, something very strange and weird and wonderful and life transforming happened to you all at once when you laid eyes on your child for the first time. You fell instantly and hopelessly in love in a way you never thought you possibly could. Because most of us have to warm up to one another. <laughs> We're all just a little bit suspicious. <laughs> but something altogether different happens when you have that child. And I mean, I know we have different ideas. When, when my children were born, they were all very ugly. <laughs> like, 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 look, I don't know, maybe if you were crammed up in a, in a bottle of like pickling juice or something, and you'd also come out the same way. But I didn't consider that. You know, I didn't consider that. It was, I, I was, you know, struck by it at first. But, uh, but instantly, you are in love. And they become your beloved. And, and, and what, what that looks like as life unfolds for you is that you choose the best for them. And you seek out the best for them. And so we're careful who they hang out with and we're careful where they go and we're careful what they eat and we're careful what they watch because they are our beloved. 
And they're valuable to us and they're important to us. And I think the same thing is true of how God thinks about it. When the Bible says you are his beloved, I want to tell you he is he is kind of present just to guard your life and to lead you if you'll let him. And he just wants to be there to protect you and to keep you and to strengthen you and empower you and get you ready for all of the things that you're going to have to face in this life. He's for you. And we have to think about those things and we have to think about God in that way. God, you love me. You love me in an infinite way, in a way that I actually can't comprehend, but I'm grateful for it. In so I'll read a scripture in 1 John 3 verse 1. It says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. God loves you. God loves you. Who believes that? Yeah, yeah, I, I think you don't actually know that. <laughs> I'm going to do what, what I saw Tim, Tim Keller do. He posed the same question to his congregation. He said, Who, you know, God loves you. See, the reality is if we really believed that God loved us, we'd live vastly different lives. We'd live boldly and confidently. We'd live choosing love overhead at every opportunity. When cursed, we'd bless. When accused, we'd never defend ourselves. I don't have to. I'm the beloved. When people lied about me or said all kinds of things about me, it wouldn't even bother me because their opinion doesn't count. And I don't have to prove anything otherwise. The Lord loves me. We would live very different lives just on that plan, on that level, on that idea, if we really understood that God loves us. But I pray that by His grace, because it's a thing that Paul desired for us and for the church in Ephesus, he said, Lord, I pray that they would come to know and understand the love of God. The length and the breadth and the depth and the heart of that love. That would be rooted and grounded on that love. That it would be the anchoring force of our lives. The love of God. Because Paul said it passes all knowledge. All understanding. It's unraveled and undone and overshadowed by his love. (laughs) And so the force of his love. The compulsion of his love. Drives us to goodness and holiness and perfection in him. If we really understood that we're his beloved and that he loves us our lives would look so very different. And I say that to you, and I'm sitting with you in their congregation this morning because I too get upset when people say things about me. I've had all kinds of things said about me as a pastor. And I've got discouraged and disappointed and angry. But if I understood his love, it would be a little different. Or a whole lot different. In 1 John 4, 17, it says, Love has been perfected among us in this that we have boldness on the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in this world. Now, I don't want to be overly theological here. I want to say Paul is a phenomenal teacher. He really is. He's a great teacher. I generally listen to the sermon that takes place uh, most weeks. (laughs) And I submit everything that I teach today to Paul and Milan and the eldership of this church. And if anything needs to be corrected, you just get up here next Sunday. Or even now, I don't mind being interrupted. I love you that much. I might learn something. Praise Jesus. But... This scripture is sometimes taught in a way that I really do believe is incorrect. We kind of teach it in a way, um, you know, we might say, if you're sick, well, you're not sick because you are as he is in the world. You know? And I think we can overplay that because the, what, the context of the scripture is about judgment day. And it's about eternal punishment. 
It's about being separated from God. It's about living in eternal damnation. <laughs> Hell is separated from God from all eternity. But the Bible says, actually, when, God, when we know that God loves us, the thing that, that becomes very apparent to us is that my life has lived in His presence. And I'm not going to be shooed away from His presence. And actually, there's a boldness that comes upon my life. Because as Jesus is loved and accepted, as Jesus is righteous and holy and blameless, so am I. Colossians tells us that you and I are holy, blameless, and above reproach in Christ Jesus. And so we get to stand before the Lord with a, with a beautiful, blood-bought confidence that I am loved. I am loved. I am the beloved. And God's thoughts toward me are not to condemn me, but to receive me and to strengthen me and encourage me and to love me. So you are the beloved and you are loved. You are chosen. You are sons and daughters. In John 15 verse 16, I love this scripture. I just love it. It gives me so much hope. It says, you did not choose me. It's Jesus speaking. Speaking to his disciples. And you sometimes think, why did he say this? Eh? So maybe one of them is like, I saw Jesus. I followed Jesus. You know. He says, you did not choose me, but I but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. That whatever you ask the Father in my name, you, he may give you. Isn't that beautiful? Not only are you the loved, the beloved, but he chose you. You didn't do anything to worm your way into his presence or to try and win his favor. So when you, when, you, when you understand this and you just rest in this, you don't have to one-up the other person at church. <laughs> you know, in the prayer meeting, okay, maybe let me say that. I'm, person, I, I'm not going to go there. You had a lot of people in your prayer meeting. This. May you keep coming. May you all pray more and more together in Jesus' name. But this is the reality. You were chosen. You didn't choose him. You didn't do anything to earn it. You didn't do it. It wasn't like God was you know, looking over the earth and you just, wow, look at that person. Look how good they are. We need them in this team. <laughs> no, 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 no. But he did choose you. And that gives us a confidence, hey? We can stand before the Lord. I, I often do. I say, God, I'm, I'm so grateful for your kindness and your love and your patience. And I don't know what you were doing when you picked me, but I'm just grateful that you did. <laughs> and you chose me. And the Bible says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's not going to change his mind. He's not going to reconsider his options. He's not going to choose somebody over you because they're better than you because that's not why he chose you. But he chose you. And he settled on you and he loves you. The Bible teaches us that we are heirs of God. It says there we are no longer slaves but sons and if a son then we are heirs of God through Christ Jesus. We don't have time right now but there are so many beautiful things that you are heir to. That you have a right to. A holy right in God. To possess to live in, to have. There's a beautiful scripture in Romans chapter eight that says, if God did not spare his son, why would he not with him freely give us all things? You see, if God didn't hold back Jesus, why would he hold anything else back from your life? Any good thing that he intended for you? Man, I don't know about you, but those scriptures just go, whoa, <laughs> I, like, I'm, I feel better about myself being in his presence all about, you know, for, the, for the simple reason of what, the way that he thinks about me. 
He's not holding any grudges against me. He's not suspicious of me. He's not, mm, not unsure of me. No, he loves me. And, he, and it's the exact same way for you. So you can come boldly into his presence. I want to end with these two things. We are more than conquerors. And he leads us in triumph. Romans 8 is such a beautiful portion of scripture. And it's one of those scriptures that, you know, when you wake up in the morning and you don't really feel like reading your, your reading plan. Anybody? Especially when it's like tracking you through Numbers and Deuteronomy and Leviticus. <laughs> and you need like two cups of coffee and a whole lot of courage from Jesus to continue reading your reading plan. I'm just being honest. And so, and so maybe I'll just go sit in my lounge and I'll just read Romans chapter 8 because it's so nice to read Romans chapter 8. Okay. But Romans chapter 8, and I've been sharing this in terms of faith and how we can have faith. But Romans chapter 8 starts in this way. It says, therefore, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation. Wow, what a beautiful thought. There's, no kind of, there's nothing condemning you in Christ Jesus. There's nothing condemning you. But Romans 8 ends in this way. Romans 8, and Romans 8.37, it's not the last part. It kind of clarifies some things. But this is the reality. It says, yet in all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So it starts with no condemnation, and it leads us to the intention for, that God has for our lives, that you'd live in victory. You'd live in victory over depression. You'd live in victory um, over the lack that may want to creep up in your life. You'd live in victory over all the opinions of other people. you just live in the victory of Jesus Christ. But it begins with no condemnation. It begins with understanding that you're loved and the beloved, that you've been chosen and accepted, that the way God sees you is that he chooses to see you, see you as holy, blameless, and above reproach, that the perfect finished work of Jesus has been applied to your life. And that's a glorious thing. That's a wonderful thing. And so we have this bold confidence. And then in 2 Corinthians 2.14, it says, now thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Because all of this should leave us breathless. <laughs> oh my goodness. Wow. Wow. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, King Jesus. Now thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumph in Christ. That's a, it's a hard scripture to wrestle with because sometimes we're dealing with some things. But his intention is that it doesn't rule over you, but that you rule over it. Psalm 110, it was spoken of Christ. It says that he would rule in the midst of his enemies. And all that Christ, God has, has, has longed for, in, for Christ, he has longed for for us. Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. God says, I want you to have victory in your life over depression and anxiety and worry and all these things. I want that to be true for you because what it does is it releases the particular fragrance of heaven around you. And people who interact with you, they say, oh man, I don't is it about that? And we go to their house for dinner and we leave, like we arrived fighting and we left and it was, I liked you a little more. <laughs> this is good for our marriage to hang out with these people, you know? And maybe you got a friend and you just, you hang out with them and you, you always leave encouraged. I feel like I can keep doing this again. Like I'm gonna, all right, Lord, I, I gave up 35 minutes ago, but after that coffee and that conversation with that person who clearly clearly has the fragrance of you marking their lives. I feel confident again. 
as we've gathered together this morning and as we've been led so beautifully in worship and as you've been led by the leadership and they've drawn you into the things of God, things shifted in the room. Anybody feel that? I don't want to be super spiritual, but I just, you know, I was like, whoo, you here? <laughs> I don't know about you, but when I sense the presence of God, I always cry. I'll even sometimes, I'm like, Lord, why are you doing this to me now? <laughs> I really don't need to cry. You know, my children are always ripping me off. But something changes. It's the beauty of the fragrance of his presence. And Jesus is saying to us today, the thought that God has for your life is that you would live in that. You'd live in that. You'd live in the wonder of fellowship with him, knowing what he thinks about you and it change how you begin to think about him and the people around you. And it just, we'd live a different life. It's not a holy religious life that makes people feel less than. Because remember who Jesus was. When people came to Jesus, they were just, they wanted to be with him. Even the worst sinners. <laughs> like, I like this guy. I need to hang out with him. <laughs> it's not good for business, but I like this guy. <laughs> you know, it's not working out for my tax collecting business, but I like Jesus. <laughs> and there's just something about the king. And there's something about believing who he is and what he thinks about you and how he wants to live with you that radically changes and transforms who we are and how we live our lives. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. So we're going to take a couple of moments. I want you just to close your eyes where you are. We're just going to invite the Holy Spirit. Not that he hasn't been here, not that he isn't doing something. I've, I've been praying that as I've been talking today, he's been doing something in your heart. He's been speaking to you. He's been encouraging you. He's been, been drawing you out of that place of being unsure and insecure in him and just rooting you again in his love for you, his purpose and intention towards you. It's beautiful. And so we're going to take a few moments and we're going to trust for the works of God. We're going to trust for the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. He comes with gifts to men. And those gifts come through words of wisdom and words of knowledge and the, the working of miracles and signs and wonders. They come through the prophetic. Just begin to manifest as he wills, as he desires. What God does require of us is our participation, our faith. So King Jesus, who's present with us this morning, wants to speak into your life, wants to encourage you, wants to heal you, wants to deliver you. He wants to speak a word into your life that'll hold you in the seasons that are stormy and shaky. He wants to pour out his ability into you to strengthen you in your inner man that Christ would be formed in you. And the wonderful person of the Spirit is present. And I want you just to begin to commune with Him, just fellowship with Him. Do you need healing? Invite Him to heal you this morning. Blind Bartimaeus cried out to Jesus, Son of David, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus didn't just keep on walking. He stopped. He turned around and he began to attend 
to blind Bartimaeus, even when the disciples said, whoa, whoa, chill, Jesus. This isn't, it's not good for business. She said, whoa, I'm about the Father's business. Eh? Jesus has sent his spirit to be about the Father's business. And this morning, the Father's business is your business. He wants to encourage and heal and restore. Just commune with him for a moment. Just worship him in your heart. Celebrate him.